Did you ever have a, a rule that you had to follow that you never really understood the reason or the value for that rule? Maybe, maybe a rule that as a kid your parents put into place and you found yourself kind of rolling your eyes every time they would bring it up or you were guilty of, of breaking that so-called rule? When I was a teenager in high school, my mom had kind of decreed at a certain point in time that we were no longer allowed to leave all of our shoes by the, the coat rack in the entryway. We could leave one pair of shoes there, the rest of them had to go into our rooms. And as a teenager, that was one of those rules that just never really struck with me. I was always guilty of breaking that rule and, and would have you know, tons of my shoes all over the place. And you know, to my mom's credit, a couple of my shoes are like three or four normal person's shoes. So she was maybe kind of right there about, about wanting to keep that neat. And uh, it was one of those rules that, that I was constantly breaking and, and we were constantly kind of not necessarily arguing about, but certainly disagreeing about a little bit. And it would always kind of come to that, that universal parent-child conversation that happens for everyone, right? As a kid, you say, but why? And as, as the mom or the dad, the, the parent in the situation, you say, because I said so. And I can remember later on, when I first moved into my, my first house, kind of gloating to my mom that I've got all my shoes lined up by the front door and she couldn't stop me. And of course we laughed about it, but it was maybe a week or so after that when I realized that she was onto something. And now even today, I rarely leave any shoes by the door. They're all put away neat in the closet because that's what my mom was after there. Over the last few weeks here in this series that we've been in, Out of the Darkness, going through the, the story of the Exodus, we've been, been journeying with the children of Israel from, from their, their exodus from Egypt, their release from slavery, as they've headed toward the promised land. And today in our story through the Exodus, we come to the giving of the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments are perhaps the, the most famous set of laws or, or rules that have been passed down to us in the history of the world. Almost every culture is, is aware of them, and, and even for many who are, are not Christian in our country, they're aware of them. Uh, we see them oftentimes at courthouses and places like that placed prominently. Uh, but when it, when it comes to those Ten Commandments, we might kind of look at them like those parental prescriptions, right? We're supposed to follow them because if we don't follow them, then we get in trouble. We get on, on God's bad side. There's an episode of, of one of my favorite TV shows, The Simpsons, that I've watched forever. And this is an old, old episode. You might remember it if you've ever watched it. Where, where Bart and Lisa are at church and they're in Sunday school and the, and the Sunday school teacher is talking about the afterlife and specifically hell. And Bart is, you know, all excited about this. Finally, we get to talk about the, the good stuff, as he puts it. And he's asking about, you know, are there pirates in hell? And would you eventually get used to the temperature there like you do when you get into a hot tub? And one of the brainy kids, Martin Prince, asks, he says, so, so it sounds like there's a, a downside to the afterlife. How does one steer clear of this abode of the damned? And Mrs. Albright, the Sunday school teacher, she responds very matter-of-factly as if this is just a, a commonly known answer. She says, why, by keeping the Ten Commandments, ten simple rules that are easy to live by. 
And I think that really sums up how our culture for sure, and, and I would say even many Christians kind of think of the Ten Commandments, that, that they are the, the, the rules that we have to live by. They're the thing that, that gets us into heaven or, or keeps us out of hell based on, on how our performance is with those ten things. But as I want you to see this morning, the, the intent behind the Ten Commandments goes, goes way beyond that. And it's a lot deeper and more profound than, than simply a divine because I said so. That God gives us these Ten Commandments out of his deep, deep love for us. Now because I'm sure we're all you know, very familiar with the Ten Commandments, I actually want to back up to the, the chapter just before God gives the Ten Commandments to give us a little bit of a perspective on these Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 19, God is having a discussion with Moses, and in here he reveals some of the intent behind the Ten Commandments. He says, starting at verse 3, Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now in this statement from God, there are three things that I want you to take note of. And the first of those is how God takes action on behalf of his people. God says, you've seen what I did to Egypt, and, and God did some amazing things both in and to Egypt. You remember, he sent the plagues to Egypt to, to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. He parted the Red Sea. He led them through the wilderness with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. He rained down miraculous manna from heaven to give them something to eat. God has over and over again, he has, he has taken miraculous action on behalf of his people Israel. But, but here's what we also need to realize about how God acts for his people. Sometimes it takes him a really long time to do those things. Do you know, for instance, how long Israel was in slavery in Egypt? 430 years. That's a long time to be waiting. In, and, you know, that's how God often works. He, he doesn't work according to our timetables or our schedules or, or in the way that we wish he would work. But he does work. You know, in Genesis, God promises a savior to Adam and Eve. And, and by this part of the story, the, the time of the Exodus, it's been a long time since that promise. And the, the people who are waiting for that promised Savior have got to be thinking, any second now, that Savior is going to show up and be here and deliver us. And yet Jesus is still 1,400 years off from where we are at this point of the story. Sometimes it takes God a long time to do what God is going to do. You know, it's been a really rough few months here in our nation and in our world. Every year always has its ups and its downs, but man, I don't know about you, but, but 2020 sure feels like it's nothing but, but downs and downs. We're just going further and further down this year. And with all the crazy stuff going on in this world, you know, I, you remember the, the wildfires that were happening in Australia back in January? I mean, that, that feels like another lifetime ago, but that was, that was this year. That was 2020. Or the, the swarms of, of locusts over in Africa. If you're not aware of that story going on, man, do yourself a favor, 
do not Google that late at night and, uh, and look at the videos of the literal swarms of, of locusts going on over in Africa right now. If you are at all squeamish about bugs, it is like biblical proportions over there. And, you know, we, we certainly can't ignore the COVID stuff that's going on here and, and in our world all around us. And in these last couple of months, with all this crazy stuff going on, I've, I've been asked more, more in these last few months than I ever have before if I think, you know, is, is this all part of Jesus coming back? Is this a sign that Jesus is coming back soon? Because the world sure feels like it's all topsy-turvy and upside down. And when I get that question, I, I really have to give an honest answer. I don't know. Because God doesn't always act the, the way that I think he should act. And according to the, the timetable that I wish he would keep, according to, to my schedule. But here's what I do know. God does act. God does work in this world. And, you know, we might be worried about how things are going, but God's not worried because God has everything under control. So there's no need for us to fear. There's no need for us to worry because God will continue to work both in spite of us and because of his great love for us. The first thing that I want you to notice from what God says here is that God does work. The second thing that I want you to notice about what God says here is, is God, God tells Moses about the assistance that he gives to his people. He says, you've seen what I've done in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings. Now, now I, I love this phrase, on eagles' wings. The, when, a, when a baby eagle is learning to fly, oftentimes how that works is, is the baby eagle will, will take off out of the nest, and then the mother eagle will, will take off after it and fly, fly underneath it. So that way, if that baby eagle, as it's flying through the air, if it encounters any turbulence or if it just loses control, isn't able to stay in the air, rather than you know, falling down to the ground and, and being a, a sitting duck or a sitting eagle in this place um, for, for some prey animal, um, it, it falls on its mother, lands on its mother, and is able to, to take back off. And God is telling Moses here that in the same way that that mother eagle is caring for its young, that's what I'm doing for you. I'm going to bear you up on eagle's wings. That I'm, I'm going to do this for you because in this life and in this world, you are going to experience turbulence. In this world, you're going to stumble, you're going to fall, and guess what? You're going to need someone to help you, and I'm going to be right there to help you, to raise you up on eagle's wings. This is the assistance that I have to offer, God says. We see, we see the work that God has done for his people. We see the assistance that he has to offer. Thirdly, we see the goal that God has in mind for all of this. And here's God's goal. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings, and how I brought you to myself. This is God's goal, that his people would be brought to him, that his people would be close to him. You see, God wants an intimate and personal, a close relationship with all of his people. That's why God continues in, in verse 5 of chapter 19, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. For the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You're going to be for me a kingdom of priests. You know what a priest is, right? A priest is, is someone who is close to God. It's why in the Old Testament so often the, the priests are offering sacrifices on behalf of the people because they are, they're, they're a little bit closer to God than the average person. 
But God says here in, in, in Exodus chapter 19 that, that I don't want a, a class of priests, a, a small group of priests. I want a whole kingdom of priests. I want everyone to be close to me. That's God's goal for you and for me, that we would be close to him. But, but here's the problem with that. What God wants for Israel isn't always what Israel wants with God. If you've ever been around a two-year-old, I know you know what this looks like. Uh, having been around my own niece and nephew, uh, I've seen this you know, once or twice before, where, where the two-year-old wants something, and mom or dad say, nope, can't have that or can't do that. And, and what does the little two-year-old do? They pitch a fit, right? They, they melt down on the ground and have a temper tantrum. It's like the only coping mechanism a two-year-old has. And, you know, mom and dad, they... they you know, scoop up the little one and go to carry him off because you know, life has to go on. And what does the little two-year-old do? They, they, they kick and, and they scream and they say, no, put me down. We've seen this you know, a few times already in the story of, of Israel, that this is what Israel has done with God over and over again. You know, in, when, they, when they first get to the edge of the Red Sea, what does Israel say when, when there's no apparent escape for them. You know, we should have just stayed in Egypt. We were, we were happy there. We were housed. We were fed. God, why did you bring us here for us to die? We should have just stayed in Egypt. God, put me down. Time and time again, God has scooped them up, carried them off out of slavery, out of a, a predicament that they were in, and they keep kicking and screaming and saying, let me go, put me down. We'd have been happier back in Egypt. Just let me be back in slavery. Now, it's not just two-year-olds who do this to their parents. It's not just ancient Israelites who do this to God. You know, we all do this to God. We, too, all too often, we, when, when Jesus desires to pick us up, to hold us close, our response and our reaction by the way that we live is, is to say, God, put me down. You know, we say, put me down every time we break one of his commands. We say, put me down every time we refuse to listen to his voice. We say, put me down every time we sin. Think about it this way. One of the commandments is remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. How are you doing with that? Is the Sabbath day a worshipful day of, of resting in, in Jesus and, and his love for you and all that he has done for you rather than your own personal gratification? Do you always rest like you should on the Sabbath day or does the Sabbath day get filled up with all the work that you should have been doing all the rest of the week but haven't been doing? When we break the Sabbath, we say to God, God, put me down. Another of the Ten Commandments is, says, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. How are you doing there? You know, that, that word that's, that's often translated in English for us as, as, as take or, or use the name of the Lord your God in vain, we, we often think of that to mean like swearing or, or speaking God's name inappropriately. But that word there actually has more of the connotation of like bearing God's name or carrying his name or carrying his name or, or representing him. That, that we don't represent him to the world around us or, or carry his name on us in an inappropriate way by the way that we live 
in the way that we act, in how you conduct yourself day to day, even you know behind closed doors or online where nobody knows it's you, are you doing that appropriately? God says not to covet. You ever get a little twinge of envy when you see someone else and you see their, their house or their car or maybe even their family? You, you see a family that's, that's all put together and they all seem happy and they do these great things and everybody loves one another and you, you look at your family and it just feels like a mess and you get a little bit jealous of, of their family? If that's you, then you've broken that commandment. And every time we break that commandment, we say, God, put me down. But here's the question. How does God respond to you and to me and to his people when we say, God, put me down? What does he do? Well, what he does is at the very beginning of our Old Testament reading today, in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 20, where God spoke these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And from there, God launches into the rest of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me, and so on. Now, I don't know if you know this, but there's a long-standing debate in the, the various corners of Christianity over how to number the Ten Commandments. The majority of American Protestants have two commandments at the beginning about idolatry. The, the commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. And commandment number two comes right after that, that, that you shall not make for yourself a graven image. And a graven image is, you know, an, an idol or, or a carving or something that we bow down to and worship as if it were God. But if you're Roman Catholic or you're Lutheran, you only have one commandment at the beginning about idolatry, and you've got two at the end about coveting. You've got, you've got commandment number nine that says you shall not covet your, your neighbor's house. And you've got number 10 saying not to cover, covet your neighbor's spouse or servants or possessions or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So depending on, on which corner of Christianity you come from, you might, might read the commandments a little different, number them a little differently. So, so the, that leads us to, to ask the question, obviously, well, who's right about that? Is it the majority of American Protestants who have, have two commandments about idolatry? Or is it you know, the, the Catholics and the Lutherans who have two commandments about coveting? Who's right? Well, I'm sure you know what I'm going to say standing before you, that, that the Lutherans are obviously the right ones. Of course we've got it right. But actually, if I can be honest with you, the... I like numbering the Ten Commandments not the way that the majority of American Protestants do with, with two commandments on idolatry, but it's also not the way that Lutherans and Catholics do with two commandments about coveting. It's actually the way a lot of the ancient Jewish rabbis looked at the Ten Commandments. Because when the ancient Jewish rabbis read this text, they noticed something. In Exodus 20, verse 1, it begins, God spoke these words. See, the, the rabbis noticed something. We call them the Ten Commandments. Do you know what they are not called at all in Exodus chapter 20? Commandments. God doesn't introduce these by saying, these are my commands. He simply introduces them by saying, these are my words. 
And so the, the ancient Jewish rabbis, they picked up on this and they said, well, you know, if we're going to number these, we don't just have to, we don't want to number just the, the commandments, but actually the words that God says here. And so rather than starting with the first one being, you shall have no gods before me, let's back up and start with that first verse, with God's first word that says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For the ancient Jewish rabbis, that was the first commandment, which is a little bit ironic if you think about it because there's no actual command there. It's, it's a promise from God. It's a promise of what he's already done for you. But see, they knew something about the way that God works and the way that we work. Those ancient rabbis, they knew that, that before we can do anything, God has to take the initiative. God does the important things. God rescues. God redeems. God saves. And so if we're going to hear the Ten Commandments, we're going to take those commandments to heart and try to live those out and, and follow those as God certainly would have us to do, we have to hear first that promise of God, that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery, out, out of Egypt. This is the promise, this is the hope of the Ten Commandments for us. That before God asks us to do anything, he reminds us he's already taken care of everything. He's taken care of our redemption. He's taken care of our rescue. He's taken care of our salvation. And so we've got nothing to worry about. We've got nothing to fear. So as we wrap up this morning, let me just ask you, what is it that you need taken care of? Maybe it's a relationship in your life that's been broken for far too long and you've tried to patch things up and fix it, but it's still just broken. Maybe it's the stain of guilt that you've carried in your heart for far too long. And no matter, no matter how much you tell yourself it's behind you, that, that pain, that guilt is still there. When you feel like you can't take care of anything, remember that God has taken care of everything. That when you can't do anything, or when you feel like you keep failing over and over and over again, that God has done the important stuff. The rabbis knew that. They believed in the promise of God. And that's what God in Christ Jesus has done for you. I hope you know that. I hope you see that, that these are, are not just ten commandments, but these are, are ten words from God. And, and certainly that they're not just, they're not just words, but, but they, are, they are the heart of a God who loves you. A God who has done everything for you. And that more than just good words, these are good news for you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that before you asked us to do anything, you promised to take care of everything. You take care of our rescue. You take care of our redemption. You take care of our salvation. You remind us that you are the Lord our God and that you rescue us from sin and death and the devil by the power of your son, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, before we do anything, may we always stop to reflect on everything that you have already done through Jesus Christ, your son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. <laughs>